Diane's got to do something for a living these days. Diane ain't much of a living boy. Hello and welcome to the Ducks Never Waver Lunch Break, where you get food for thought and can rejuvenate to Sally Ford. Join the dynamic duo, Edwin and Megan, as they explore topics of gravitas and pomp, brought to the brink of absurdity and thrown off, down, down, down the precipice of ridiculousness. Intrepid listeners, thank you for joining us today. Special podcast today because we are interviewing Megan as she is going to tell her about her exploits in the dying industry. You have to go. That was good. That's some good dying noises. Good dying noises. Just just a warning, there are going to be so many dying jokes. Why do you need to be warned about that? This is, it's kind of obvious. Absolutely. What we are talking about is eco-dying. Natural dying. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Natural dying. We'll get into... So it is eco, it's not echo? Right, it's like, yeah. like Ecological? Ecological for the, I mean, you can say it either way. I've heard it both ways. I've heard it both ways, huh? Yes. So you got into this how long ago? Two years? Two years. Uh, We started the research process and the, the, you know, gathering tools and such in 2020 but we didn't really start actually dyeing fabric until January of 21. So how did you even find out that you could do this where you could take plants and then add color to plain white cloth? Well, I think we have to go way back. I'll begin at the beginning. To where this fascination of old crafts came from and the idea that you can use what's around you. And I would say for me that really came from living in the Philadelphia area, being surrounded by all these living history museums. And I loved anything to do with the textiles. But what's interesting is that you don't get to see the dyeing process very often. Like I don't remember seeing that. I remember seeing a lot of sewing. I remember seeing a lot of weaving. What I remember is every time you'd get there and then, they're like, and then they would grow flax and they'd make their clothes out of flax. And you could be like, what? <laughs> and like, That's right. And they have this special flax chopper. Come over here, child, and chop this flax. Now, of course, they had five strands of flax that had been chopped by previous thousands of school children. And it's already peppered. To, like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's already done. That's actually where we get the term toehead. Because, like, what's been hammered and, like, what's left is, like, the straw-like oh, part that's of the, the flax, and that's the toe. Or is it tau, tau-headed, toe-headed? Anyways, but that's where people would, that's where that word comes from. Interesting. So that kind of flax and hair would be your toe-head. Because, of course, it goes everywhere once you start chopping it. Yeah, so we learned a little bit about it, and obviously we saw, like, cotton and, you know, learned about that, and they talked about it. But because dying is such a long process... Every man dies. You can't really show it during a school demonstration. Mm -hmm. So I I didn't get to see that. But I always knew that it could be done. 
And I always found the whole textile industry of that just so fascinating. And I think also you and I had so much fun outside playing with plants, like either having our, our garden or we made perfumes, which were pretty wretched smelling things, actually. But we would gather up flowers and orange peels and grasses and we would mash it and come up with this great perfume and give it to our mother who took it quite graciously, actually. Mom, 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 we made you perfume. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Love it. I love it. so bad. Oh, especially once like we had a special aging process where we put it in a (laughs) used plastic bottle and baked it in the sun for a day. Yeah, yeah. Really, yeah, that fermentation really adds to the smell. <laughs> um, but no, I think because of that, I don't know, it, just realize that everything's teeming with life and with possibilities. Like I would look at a flower and know that it held some healing power or it would hold some other property. Just like I still think that animals understand what we're saying and talk behind our backs. You know, whole yeah. Uncle Remus stories and, like, all those animal stories where the, the animals talk. It, you know, I, I still kind of live in that world where I imagine what they're saying. I think it's really interesting you just bring that up, uh, the, the magic that is all around us. Like, the very fact that you can take plants and you actually can make medicine out of them or you can dye cloth out of it, that that's pretty miraculous. I think in the scientific age we get a little bit... We just expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. We just assume, yeah, of yeah. course, this is the way that the chemical bonds work, and that's why we get this color out of here, and the light reflects in such a way so that we see red. And yeah. it's like almost a little boring. Yeah. But, we, but think, to realize that possibilities and life is everywhere. Yeah. Live and let die. I mean, you think about now we've genetically modified how wheat grows, but when we were having the amber waves of grain... What they would do is they would harvest the the actual like grain part, the food part. But then with all that leftover straw, you are making hats, you are making rugs, you are making baskets, you are making your bed. You know, you are doing so many things with this. Right, because the stock was longer back then. Yes. So now if you look at it, it's this stubby wheat. (laughs) Yeah. Nowadays, like I'm like, oh, that's wheat. Okay, it's not nearly as impressive as it used to be, but they did that so that the plant would have more energy to produce more fruit mm-hmm. instead of spending all the energy making the tall stocks. stocks. But I don't know. I love looking at things and seeing what else is in there. And I think that's kind of with some of the recycled projects that I've been doing, like with the baskets of the plastic bags. I look at plastic bags and I'm like, okay, what else can we do with it? Where else can we go with it? And same thing with the T-shirts. Rayleigh, really, can I manipulate this in a different way? This is something I have. What what else can I do with it? What can I push it to do? Mm-hmm. So that brings us back to dying. You were thinking, well, that doesn't even answer the original no, it problem. Doesn't. I'm getting to it. <laughs> okay. I'm getting to it. Okay. With the whole running a business thing, right? You're trying to be more and more cohesive, tell a brand story, yada, 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 all that jargon, jargon that mm-hmm. is so boring. <gasps> business talk. I don't know why we have to be cohesive. Our lives aren't cohesive. Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) But no, I was trying to think of a cohesive brand and I want to do all these different things and just go where creativity takes me and make, but I'm like, it still needs to like be somewhat cohesive that people look at it and say, that's Ducks Never Waver. That's not that other brand. That's Ducks Never Waver. 
And I thought one good way to do that would be through color, right? To have a cohesive color scheme. So that was kind of in the back of my mind. And then I ended up watching this YouTube video. Uh-oh. I know. YouTube's dangerous. It is so dangerous. And 2020, I think we were all watching a lot of YouTube to fill, you know, come up with something new. But I stumbled across this wonderful person who's making medieval clothing. And I was watching her and she made curdles and she made like the really cool hats. Wait, uh, curdles, like like milk that's gone bad? No, no. Curdle is like the, the style dress. Okay. And, like, you know, the hose and everything. And then she had one where she was plant dying. Like, she grew her own woad. And then she... Woad. Woad, bro. <laughs> Yikes. So she she went through this whole process. And she showed... And I'm like, I could do that. That looks awesome. And that's... I think that's where it started. And then I'm, I got mom on board and she's like, yeah, let's do this. This sounds awesome. So what YouTuber was this? This, her name is Ellen Abramson. And that's her channel? And that's her channel's name. Yeah. And she has so many beautiful, like her cinematography skills on point. Nice. There's such beautiful, relaxing videos to watch. And very informative and she's telling you and she I don't know they're beautiful because she shows her failures and how she fixes them which I think is so helpful that's key because that's that's I think a lot of times when you begin something new you think that well this person did it and they didn't have any shortcomings or failures along the way I was like no anybody who's good at anything has made mistakes exactly so that and then just using the internet to kind of go through it and then I went to Barnes and Noble and I checked out the books there, and there was a book called The Wild Dyer. And I'm like, okay, this is a thing. This is something that, again, is in the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't buy it then. But my very kind parents bought it for me, I think for my birthday or something like that. Yeah. That's that's kind of what got us started in that learning that this is actually something possible. I love the idea of using plants, the idea that it's a healthier route, the idea that you're using what you have, because a lot of it is actually kitchen scraps that we use. You know, that all that and the idea that it's going to create our own unique color. Like every time is going to be different, but it's going to form our look. So that's really what, what got us started. What did you need to get started? You don't need too much. I would say, though, a lot of it is actually going to be cooking utensils that you need, but don't use what you use for your food. You do want to keep it separate just to be sure that you're not getting small amounts of, of toxicity in you. You know, it's. So is, is Ecodyne dangerous in that way? Hazardous? Hey, she scared us, all right? Dying, boy, he can have this little life anytime he wants to. Well, when you use alum, which is a mineral salt, it's not great to ingest a lot of it. Just like there's mercury around us and all these other, you know, heavy metals and that's it's all fine in small doses, but you don't want to be habitually consuming it, right? So that mm-hmm. you just use a little bit of caution there. And some plants too, I think sumac, you want to be careful about not breathing in the fumes, but... 
it's not dangerous and all of this you know your byproduct water is safe to dump outside or safe to dump in your city water um but yeah you don't you just want to use caution and again like you're using rust sometimes so you don't want to be ingesting that right it's just nasty it's just nasty it's not it's not gonna kill you if you have a little bit right but it's just not great for your body so you're going to need a big pot or two and you're going to need a thermometer a scale now the scale you can have for food as well because you're going to put like a bowl or a plate on top of it and that's fine right you know um measuring spoons you want a sieve you probably want some rubber gloves butcher's twine if you're doing ecodyne and a steamer basket for the the same thing uh and a plastic container is nice like a big one that you can pot hot water in that one's nice to have too and all of this you can get at garage sales you can get thrift stores dollar store we got a bunch of stuff like it does not have to be fancy mm -hmm. if you're buying a pot you probably want to start with stainless steel because that's non-reactive right if you get something like aluminum it works fine but just realize that it will change the color a bit because yeah. it will react to it right so which is a fun thing we have an aluminum pot so okay. sometimes when we want a certain effect, we'll use that one instead of the stainless steel. Okay. But if you just want to, you know, start, you're choosing one pot, I would say get the stainless steel. That way you have more control. Yeah, and it's really good for doing your mordantine and your scouring. Okay, well, we'll get to the mordant a little bit later. Yes. So um, didn't you also get a hot plate? We did so that we can do it outside. Okay. Uh, just because then you can do other things inside. And if you are doing something like, like that's a very strong smell, like eucalyptus and sumac are very strong smells. You can do that outside so that your whole house, I mean, eucalyptus smells nice, but it can get a little intense if you have like five bundles of eucalyptus in your house. Like, Whoo! Major steam bath in here. Uh, it, it smells like a spa, but it, it was a little bit strong. Okay. But. You know, if you're not doing that much of it, it's really not a big deal. And we got a hot plate just so, again, we can do it outside. So in the summer, it doesn't get as hot in your kitchen, saving on AC, mm -hmm. basically. And again, that one was really cheap. I think we got that at Walmart, something like 20 bucks, if that. So it sounds like a lot at first. And if you buy a book, which I would recommend, they're going to run through all the things that they like. Again, like wooden spoons are nice to have or tongs. We got a bunch of tongs at a kitchen supply store so super okay. cheap long tongs it just helps you stir things around in the hot pot so was there anything that you needed that was difficult to get or to find no i think i just scoured the internet to find the cheapest stainless steel pot i think that was the i i don't know now where i got it it's probably some sketchy site but <laughs> it came it came just fine so i just worked really hard to find a cheap one right but so, like, how big a pot are we talking? I think it's, that's a good question, 20 quarts? Is that ridiculously big? It's like a stock pot. If 20 you, quarts you, is five gallons. If you if you type in stainless steel stock pot, okay. it's, that's standard size of whatever okay. a stock pot is. Maybe, like, two and a half gallons? Maybe. I don't remember now. Okay. Yeah, and then some, like, websites use liters instead of quarts, and then I get all confused. So, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, sad day. The American problem. <laughs> get, <laughs> like, get those liters. <laughs> Let me get this in real measurements here. <laughs> if it's in liters, you just have to divide by 3.78. Can you give me just like uh, the rundown 
of how you would begin a batch of dying. Live free. Die well. Sure, the process is that you want to first choose what is going to be your dye stuff. So what's going to be giving the pigment. You want to choose what mordant you want to have. And then you want to choose what fabric you're going to be using. Okay. And then when you have that all figured out in your mind, the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to scour. Now scouring is cleaning the cloth. So it's making sure that there aren't any factory sealants on it, that it's, yeah, that it's clean so that the rest of the, like the mordant and the dye is going to be able to penetrate the, the fibers. Like if there was some kind of wax on the cloth or some something. Some of them are. Now, typically, if you're buying just plain white fabric, and especially if you're buying, um, what if there is labeled dyer's fabric, then just popping it into the washer machine is fine. If it seems like it's dirty, if you're using, like, if you went to the thrift store and you found a white tablecloth that you want to use, then you're probably going to want to do the more in-depth scouring. So you can choose what level you think the fabric needs. So after you've scoured, you want to go into mordantine. And with every process, you do want your fiber to be wet. You do want your fa fabric to be wet. So you want it to be soaking for a bit, then going into your mordant. And the reason why you have your fabric wet is just so that it equally absorbs whatever you're putting on it. Okay. So you're, if you put it in dry, you're going to get spots that get more than others. So having it wet beforehand, like soaking it for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, is going to make sure that it's absorbed evenly. So then you mordant. We typically use the mordant alum. Like I said, it's a mineral salt. Um, other mordants are... Where do you get that from? You just go on the internet. I got a bag from Amazon. I got a bag from Botanical Colors. That's a really great resource uh, for instructional, but they also sell all your supplies that you're going to need. Okay. So that's pretty easy one. Mm -hmm. You can also use soy. So either prepared soy milk or you can make it yourself. And I know chrome is one as well. But that chrome and soy have more effect on the colors. So again, alum's going to give you the most true color of, of your dye stuff. Okay. So that's kind of up to you. So after you mordant, you can let, and you're, you're going to want to like let the mordant sit on overnight. And then once you're done mordanting again, you rinse it off, you soak it. And then for, if you're doing a dye bath, you're going to be having a big vat of, water and then you're going to put your dye stuff in it and depending on what you're using so like for flowers you don't want it to get too hot right but something like onion skins or avocado skins you can get hotter so it depends on the hardiness and there's lots of information online about ideal temperatures but you just get to play around with it then you're going to strain it so you don't have the, the stuff in it anymore and then you can put your fabric in it and again, how long you cook it and soak it in for. What we like to do is make sure that it cools all the way in the, in the dye vat. And then you can take it out. And then the last process that we do is we like to let the dye dry on it without rinsing it out at all. And then when it's completely dry, maybe we leave it, I don't know, anyways from an hour to overnight. Like it depends on how busy we are. 
then we'll rinse it out and then we'll throw it, throw it in the washer machine just to make sure we got all the dye out of it and then it's done. Right. So, so it is a multi-layer. It can be overwhelming at first and there are ways that you can stop the process. Right, you can scour a bunch, stop the process. You can mort into a bunch, stop the process. Right, you don't have to do it consecutively. Okay. But it's not like you're going to buy all the stuff and by uh, the end of that Saturday afternoon, you're going to have a dyed piece of fabric. No, it's, it's going to take you probably a week if you're being realistic. A batch is just going to take that long. But I will say, if you're interested in eco-dyeing, that might be a little bit easier introduction to it. Okay. What you just talked about with the dye bath isn't technically eco-dyeing? Right. So how I define it, and I think the, the terms are used sometimes interchangeably, but plant dyeing, natural dyeing is using anything found in nature, right? Mm -hmm. So it's bark, clay, you know, like the, the micas leaves, roots, bugs, and flowers, mordants that are found, color modifiers like iron and ammonia, soda ash. So think anything a medieval person would have access okay. to, right? If you want to know what that means, anything a medieval person would have access to. Actually, the uh, the Wolf Hall books, the last one, I forget what the title is, by Hilary Mantle, there is this little paragraph about, it was brought to Thomas Cromwell's attention because he was the head treasurer that they were running out of their alum store in England which is a major issue because one of their big exports was fabric like they're very known for their wonderful wools and stuff like that right so if you don't have alum you can't dye any of your fabric so what does that mean and then you have to import alum and then export like that's not going to make any money the right. Italians are totally going to rip you off. <laughs> Those darn Italians. I know. So there was that really interesting paragraph, and I think I'm like maybe the one person who appreciated it. I'm like, yes, wonderful detail. So he had to like or say like, okay, you get this much money to go searching for alum. Okay. Okay, real so, quick, just to just to back up just a tiny bit, that mordant, what does the mordant do? Okay. Mordant means to bite actually a musical term but mordant is what opens and clings to the fabric and the dye sticks to the mordant so it's like a little like a, almost like think of it like a little grabby hands it grabs the cloth yes. and then it grabs the dye yes so mordant is what keeps it light fast color fast it is what's is basically what the difference of staining your clothes and dye in your clothes. So when okay. you stain, like you drop mustard on your white shirt. All the time. That's a stain, right? Because A stain on my character is what it is. <laughs> really? You're such a slob. <laughs> the mustard and sriracha mixture, that's the hard one to get out. I know. Oh, it's terrible. But as you wash over time, it gets lighter, 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 right? And it, like, kind of distorts and, like, yeah. you know. And the clothes around it get darker. So it kind of yes. eventually evens out. So with a mordant, though, it's going to stay that color. I mean, okay. obviously, over time, clothes do fade. And the more you wash it, the more it's going to fade. 
but that's with any textile. Mm -hmm. So the mordant is what keeps the color to the cloth. Yeah, like I was saying about plant and natural dyes, anything a medieval person would have. So then you have eco dyeing. And eco dyeing is the same principles you still have to scour, you still have to mordant. But eco dyeing is when you sprinkle your dye stuff on the fabric and you roll it up, tie it really tight, and then you steam it. Mm. So eco dyeing cuts out the entire dye vat. Now you can do a dye vat and then eco dye on top of that, over dye with that. But like all our silk scarves in the store are eco dyed. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. Okay. So that means that we we're laying out all the dye stuff, the botanicals. Uh, we've we've used all sorts of things with that. So like leaves, we've used onion skins, flowers, so stuff like that. And that's how you. It's more like it's a print that way. It's not a solid color, but it's right. just a print. You get the texture of it. You'll see individual strands of the flowers and the outline of the leaves and stuff like that. So it's like almost super duper hippie um, tie dye. Yeah, it's like plant tie dye. Absolutely, that's the look you get. Okay. And you can have fun deciding, like like with tie dye. That's very good um, analogy. Analogy example is that a lot of people have their piece of fabric, lay out their dye stuff on one half of it, fold it over, and then roll it up. Mm -hmm. And what that does is that when you open it, you have the mirror image. Right. What we like to do is have a random pattern. So we put dye stuff all over it, and then we roll it up, and then twist it and tie it. Okay. Just because we, we tried it one way, and we weren't really digging the mirror image. Because... We thought then you kind of lose that effect if you're folding it and tying it. And you have two, like, this weird crease of that's just white. Okay. Which is hard to avoid. So, again, it's personal preference and what you're using it for. And then it's not like you're only getting really half the, the workable scarf. Yeah. So then also we have very vibrant colors. Like, there's just a lot of dye available for the cloth to take in. Okay. And you get kind of like this confetti look to it. Like yeah. we have one scarf on there. It just looks like buttered popcorn confetti. I don't nice. know. Every time we open a dye, like dye bundle, it looks delicious. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm like, I would eat this. This looks like a blueberry crisp. Nice. So many of them. I'm like, that looks delicious. Maybe it's because we do use blueberries, but I'm still, it looks pretty, pretty tasty. Another thing you can do with eco dyeing is that if you want to skip the mordant process you can get something like a copper pipe and you wrap the cloth around that and that will act like a mordant that's just weird well no it's again it's like that mineral that will okay. kind of and some leaves have tannins like oak leaves a lot of leaves have mm -hmm. like higher levels of tannins okay and that kind of acts like a mordant too so that helps with the color fastness. Yeah. So if you're really intimidated by everything. Ain't you scared of dying? Dying, boy, he can have this little life anytime he wants to. What you can do is start with that. Okay. So you start by cleaning your cloth, but then also you just have a pipe. You put your dye stuff down, and then you wrap everything up on the pipe. Okay. Join us next week for How to Dye Well. Part 2
This time, it's personal. We hope you have enjoyed the Ducks Never Waver lunch break. If you would like to fill your senses with more Ducks Never Waver goodness, you can feast your eyeballs on Instagram and Facebook. Touch some of our beautiful pieces that we will ship right to your door by ordering them through Etsy. Or you can continue hearing us on this magnificent culmination of auditory recordation. Donation buckets are in the description for you to invest in the betterment of this podcast. We will work diligently to read and present interesting topics. Your hard-earned money will be joyously and gratefully spent to improve your lunch break. Want to keep your hard-earned money? And who doesn't? You can still support us and yourself by rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing this here podcast with all the other ducks in your life. Stay quacky.